Hey, everybody. This is Trevin McGee from Lawrence.com, and I'm here with Eric Moline from SceneStealers.com. Lead the way, Leech. Hey, buddy. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, the, the run-up to the Christmas holiday, a holiday that I happen to celebrate, so I'm looking forward to it. Merry Christmas. I celebrate it not because of Christmas, because it's my birthday. Little known no way. Yep. How have I not known that I all these know. years? I've sent you a birthday card, an invitation every year, and you don't reply. <laughs> Anyway, we're here today to talk about a few movies. Uh, the big one, of course, is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Big, literally big. This is two hours and 40 minutes long. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. massive. And yeah. then uh, we're also going to talk about Tintin really quick, The Adventures of Tintin, the new uh, Peter Jackson, Steven Spielberg collaboration with a script you left that out was, Edgar Wright. I don't, oh, I you were getting to it. Sorry. That was co-written by Edgar Wright. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about Cameron Crowe's return to the writing-directing uh, uh, field fields with uh, We Bought a Zoo, starring Matt Damon and uh, Scarlett Johansson and a bunch of zoo animals. Yep. And you know, Take Shelter, I'm just going to say this offhand, Take Shelter is leaving Liberty Hall this weekend. Yep. It's been there for a week, and it is leaving in favor of one of the two movies we're going to talk about at the very end, Melancholia and My Week with Marilyn. Yeah. But if you didn't see Take Shelter... Sorry, it's one of the best movies of the year. Yeah, really make an effort to see that. Uh, Michael Shannon's great. I'm I'm converted now. I'm a converted <laughs> fan of Michael Shannon. I've not been a big fan of his, and uh, I've intentionally avoided Boardwalk Empire despite um, the the sort of dedication and uh, love and support that my roommate has given that show. <laughs> I've not really I've not really gotten in on it. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. It's a great, great movie, and uh, Jessica Chastain is fantastic. Uh, I really, that and Melancholia, um, having just come off seeing both those, great, great movies. You owe it to yourself to see them both. You really do. Awesome. Anyway, but we'll talk about more, well, a little bit more about those later, but right now we're going to talk about The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yes. Uh, David Fincher's uh, version of the Swedish... Uh, novel and well there was a film trilogy based on the book trilogy all that came out in, in uh, uh, Sweden and now Mr. Fincher is taking a crack at it for the US and international audiences yet again it stars um, Mr. James Bond himself uh, Daniel Craig in a very un-James Bond very un- role yes, which yes, was nice it was and then also we've got Rooney Mara who most people know from her one scene in the social network as uh, <laughs> Lizbeth Salander the uh, the sort of the aforementioned girl with the dragon tattoo yes and then we've also got some other holdovers um isn't it is it i was gonna it's not max von Sydow. he was supposed to be in it but it's actually it's <laughs> christopher pl- plummer. It's plummer yeah yeah they swapped him out at the last minute um which i imagine there's just like a vault with all those old oh, european okay. character actors and they just pull one out <laughs> and unzip him it's like the dry cleaning bag they just unzip him yes. and then spray him in the face with water and he wakes <laughs> up and they make him go Oh. Um, but they got him. They got Christopher Plummer, and they also got another guy I love, uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the movie. Um, I'll just get it out of the way. I, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the movie not as much as I wanted to, mm-hmm. but I did in fact like it a lot. And I should also say very quickly that I am in the small percentage of the population that has not read the book or watched the original films. And I did that on purpose because as soon as I heard that David Fincher was making it, I just said, "Oh, I'll just watch his version." Um, Fincher is a very good director. Fincher is very good at um, directing adaptations. Um, I love Seven. Seven is, I think, Seven's is a great movie, which kind of contradicts what I just said. But uh, that's the one movie he's done that wasn't based on something else. 
Everything else has come from another another source, and he does a very great job. Fight Club's a great novel oh, adaptation, yeah. even Absolutely. though it, it doesn't quite do the same stuff. No, it doesn't. Yeah. But the but he's you know he's very good at isolating themes and sort of building a movie. Whenever people compare books to movies, and I say they should be um, sort of held in, in in their own judgment, in their own counsel, he's a great example of that because um, he can make a decent story great, or he can make a like you know honestly the accidental billionaires. Um, yeah. the, the book that the social network was based on. Yeah. It's a crap book. Really? It's not a very good book. Well, it probably just doesn't have the narrative thrust that the movie has. No. Now, we can also give Aaron Sorkin the credit for that as That's well. What I was about to say. It also doesn't have Aaron Sorkin at the here, at Here's the what I noticed about the girl with the dragon tattoo talking about what you're saying is that in this movie, there are several scenes of Rooney Mara and Daniel Craig pouring over photographs, pouring over documents, uh, going to the library, going to research, uh, all this stuff. And, and inherently, this is not suspenseful or cinematic, no. right? But the same way that he made uh, a bunch of guys Zodiac. sitting in front of computer screens oh, God. Uh, uh, cinematic in the social network uh-huh. and, and the, the same, same kind adi- of the same addition stuff to in detail Zodiac, and investigative knowledge. he does in The yeah. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And I have to say that even though this film is two hours and 40 minutes, um, I felt like each part of it, there were maybe four major storylines happening during yeah. this entire movie. And I felt like each of them had been given the time that it deserved mm-hmm. to to keep me invested, to keep me interested, and, and ultimately to swing me over the edge at the end because I was I was right on the edge saying, you know, um, some of this isn't working for me. Right. I'm not really with these characters. Uh, this is not the movie I thought. There, there's a portion of it where it turns into kind of a serial killer thing, which I thought no, was ridiculous. Not kind of. It is a serial yeah, killer. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, I didn't know that was the direction we were heading. And then when it got there, it was kind of laughable. But there was so much other great stuff surrounding it. Yeah. And he had taken uh, such care to set these these two people up um, that that by the end of the film, I was sold. And I'm really looking forward to the next one. It's weird to say that a two-hour and 40-minute film can serve as a launching pad. Yeah, it's, it feels very much like a prequel. Like an introduction, right? Yeah. But it works as that. And, and I think that's um, mostly yeah. due to the fact that Fincher is a really great cinematic director and he can tell – a story very efficiently. Again, yeah. I'm contradicting myself because it's 2:40, but there's a lot of material to be covered. Yeah, and absolutely. he does a great job. Here was my my big thing with those previous movies I mentioned. He's always been able to find and isolate something that he can build the film around. Right. Um, you know, whether it's a character that gets obsessed in his work, like in Zodiac or in Seven, um, or if it's a if it's a moral question, or if it's a commentary on commercialism and the fact that we've been kind of turned into a consumer culture, like in Fight Club. There is not a deeper surface, really, to the girl with the dragon tattoo. There's some themes, you know. There's the the, the torture theme that runs through all three of the. From again, I haven't read them, but from what everyone's told me, and what's definitely present in this film, there's a torture and binding kind of theme that runs through all three of Stieg Larsson's uh, books. But that's not something you can really latch onto. Um, the movie has some really contradicting views on. Um, female empowerment as well <laughs> um, that I won't go into because uh, this isn't a women's studies class. Right. But it, it very much it contradicts itself a lot there. She's both this character who's supposed to be empowered, but she's also very much a victim, and she's also very fetishized, you know, the way that, that Lizbeth Salander is made to look like a doll and a suicide girl, and the way that he treats her sexuality is, I think, honestly, reductionary. But From, from what I hear, and I haven't read the books either, 
that's how the books treat yeah. her. And, that is and that's what I'm saying is that people the... love this character so much is because she does have all these weird contradictions, but is ultimately looked at as somebody that's really cool. Right. Right. I mean, she's, she's a, a cyberpunk. She's, uh, she dresses like a, a goth chick. She's, uh, you know, skinny and pale as all get out. And, um, all get out. And, and we learn later that, you know, she's got this past and then we see this, this other, horrible uh, a past uh, or, or this horrible thing that's unfolding in front of us. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, uh, and I kept wondering, I understand this is a setup for a revenge scene, mm-hmm. but at the same time, how is this the empowering? Is this the, the, the moment that makes her empowered? And if so, does every woman need to be <laughs> going through, I've gone through that to be, be assaulted. There. So, yeah. you know, I mean, there are, there are some problems uh, with all that, but, but as a piece of, uh, of entertainment uh, uh, that 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 seems to not surrender to what you would expect yeah. out of a movie like this. That way, I kind of enjoyed it. There was a scene where she and Daniel Craig had together where something happens. I won't blow it again. Uh, that that uh, I was not expecting, and then that continues to happen throughout the film. Yeah. And then they bring that back at the end in this really important sequence um, where she's kind of growing as a person, and you realize that this this woman is kind of emotionally stunted because of, yeah. of her past. And right. that's portrayed really well, I think. Yeah, you know, I think Rooney Mara did a fantastic job, and, and she was the right call. Um, he, she was his original choice, and then he really had to fight for on the studio. And someone who gave a last-minute audition that almost got it was Scarlett Johansson. And the reason that she didn't, the reason he didn't want to go with her was he said, you know, no matter how much you dirty her up, Eventually, you know, deep down, everyone wants to see Scarlett Johansson naked. Well, we're going to talk about that when we when we talk about We Bought a Zoo. But <laughs> okay, good. Um, but but you know, for me, like what we've talked about, that those are all sort of face value issues, and there's not a deeper, there's not, a, there wasn't, a, there wasn't a deeper, there wasn't a kernel for him to really latch onto like there were in these other movies. And so for me, it kind of rang hollow. I also think the. Um, the things that did well, or other than what we described, I loved the uh, the performances. I thought that Daniel Craig did a fantastic job. Again, Rooney Mara was great, and seeing those two characters together, their dynamic is handled very, very well and very, very uh, delicately. and And I enjoyed that. The one thing, um, I, I think, the script could have been a little stronger, and I didn't like the pacing of the first act or the first uh, third of the movie. It really, because those two characters are separate, so you get their their separate storylines, but it really kind of speeds through them so that you can get to this scene where they finally meet. Mm-hmm. But once they do meet, I mean, the movie takes off. Um, I noticed the editing, I just, though. He was really efficient yeah. and quickly moving that story along. Juggling between the two. the same yeah, thing that you're talking yeah. about. The it's, moment they meet. The movie really starts to it, it really does, yeah. And I think it's about an hour in. But as soon as it happens, it's just – from then on, it's great. You know, it's, I'm kind of on the fence. And I agree, you know, the, the final the final reveal, <laughs> was that so, whole – It was so easy to see coming. It was like, really? Yeah. This is going to be it? Yeah, it's I know. It's going to be this guy? <laughs> it's going to be this guy. That I, I don't know. I just – you know, and um, whatever. Yeah. If you read the books whatever. or whatever. But it just – who ends up – who they find out and how out of left field it comes. And then it almost, in a weird way, it's almost James Bond villain. Like, I don't want to compare, not because Daniel Craig, but just because, you know, like there's a secret layer. Yeah. There's, there's traps, yeah. you know, uh, that, that just kind of came out of nowhere for this movie that, that really spent its time being very like direct and brutal. And after the, after you know, the, after violent. the murder is solved. 
Yeah. I, th- I thought the movie was going to end, and it doesn't. And to its credit, some of the best sequences in the film happen after, after the mystery yeah. is wrapped up. Oh, yeah. And you realize there's a, a, another deepening of these characters. Yeah. And that was impressive. And, 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 and I've talked to a friend of mine who's seen the European version, and that's not how the European movie ends. Oh, really? Yeah. So I wonder if that's even in the book. It is. From what I, I've, I've talked to a few people that have both seen and, and read the original. Trevin and I are unique individuals. And, we we yeah. both did the same thing and uh, have not read. I didn't know. I thought you're usually you, you go for the book. I thought I thought you would have read it and I would have been on my own. But nope. Anyway, so so uh, I assume you gave it a. Did you give it a solid rock fist? Oh, uh, I haven't rated it yet. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a solid. I mean, this is a really good genre pick. Yeah, that's Definitely. how I feel about it. Yeah, um, the, when the mystery's cracking, it's a good mystery. Mm-hmm. I liked how they handled it. Um, the killer, or whatever, however you want to phrase it, the the surprise. There's a bit of a, a letdown because it's a surprise. It didn't really need to be. You know, for something that was so evidence based, it didn't didn't need to kind of come out of left field like it did. Um, but really, I don't if you, think it came out of left field at all. Well. I had it picked right from the beginning. I'm like, really? Well, I mean, from a story perspective, you can right. you can guess it right. really quickly. Yeah. But, you know, from a story perspective, they're following this trail, and it's a very precise right. clue, 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 evidence, clue. But then this is just like, boom, bad guy. Right. You know? And P.S., he's a crazy torture fiend bad yeah. guy, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so, but if you go for the performances, if you're looking for a, a good movie of this ilk... You won't be disappointed in the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. We should, we should mention this. It's a rated R film for a good reason. Yeah. This is an adult absolutely. movie. Do not bring the kids to this film. Despite yeah. the fact that it's a mainstream book and, and a big hit now. Yeah, even the, still the, the opening sequence set to the Karen O. Trent Reznor version of Immigrant Song is uh, disturbing. Yeah. Not as, you know, it, it's kind of campy. I think it'll look corny in a couple of years. But right now, I mean, there's some, there's some disturbing imagery there. Anyway, let's move on and talk about some other disturbing imagery. <laughs> Performance capture and how I still hate it and it creeps me out. <laughs> um, and so let's talk about Tintin. Tintin is, a, like I just said, a computer animated performance capture movie, kind of like what Robert Zemeckis used to do um, um, in a few other movies. Uh, Polar Express comes to mind. Um, but it's based on The Adventures of Tintin, which was an animated series. And before that was a Dutch, I think Dutch comic? Uh, Heg, Heg, Hegre. Is the uh, is yeah, the author, uh, and it was a newspaper. I'm, comic col- I'm culturally ignorant. I don't I don't remember which European country it was, but it was a it's a it's a European comic. Yeah, it's been around the, for ages for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's about this kid named Tintin who's a journalist and a little detective, uh, c- crime fighter. No yep. superpowers here or anything like that. He's got a dog. little dog that's yep. his sidekick. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's just that's that's all I know about it because I haven't seen it. So enlighten me, Eric. I watched the uh, I did watch the cartoon when it was on HBO, but I've not. Uh, I think I think the reason this movie exists is because Tintin is more widely known in every other country in the world other than the United States. It's yeah. already been out over there for weeks. Really? Yeah. Um, it is performance capture, which means that Andy Serkis and uh, Jamie Bell are, uh, and I believe is Daniel Craig in this too. I think he is. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, um, are are on on set with bubbles all over them and the green screen, and they're performing and. Uh, this stuff was added later. It is 3D, mm-hmm. uh, and there are some sequences that are really, really exciting in 3D. It's basically uh, an adventure film, and it starts pretty much right from the top. You know when 3D uh, works really well? Chase sequences. <laughs> yeah. Are you joking? 
<laughs> kind of. Well, because you know, here's the thing. Okay, that I'm gonna, you're going to get me off track. Okay. I'm just really quickly going to sum it up. It. Go through it. You've sorry. got this. You've got this. Uh, this kid who uh, gets involved in uh, uh, the search for a MacGuffin, basically, and there's uh, all these interesting characters he meets. There's a little bit of a family drama along the way, yeah. and everybody's chasing him, and it's a big adventure chase movie. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, some of the faces, the the biggest part of performance capture, the biggest challenge thus far has been rendering human faces to uh, any degree of eyes. watchability. Yeah, eyes and musculature and faces. It's just yeah. hard. The best, the best movies that's done it has been Avatar, honestly. Anyway, well, and, and, and honestly, in this film, uh, they, they've stylized them a little bit, um, yeah. kind of like Pixar does when they're trying to do human faces. The, uh, the animation still has a certain style to it that sure. reflects uh, the original comic. So that was good. Um, you kind of get used to it after a while, but they are a little glassy-eyed and... And it, a little bit rubbery, um, but really, it stops mattering after a certain point because this movie uh, has no um, no character or slowdown or anything for you to latch on. It really is just uh, a series of chases yeah. and adventure scenes crammed together, uh, one right after another, and um, there really isn't a moment for you to um, to to sit down and care about what's happening. It just kind of happens to you. And, and that's the, the, the biggest um, criticism that I have for this movie, which is, which is weird, you know, with Peter Jackson producing and Spielberg directing and Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish writing. You, these, are, these are all people you would think would be able to, um, to put more of that in. But um, yeah. on the other hand, uh, if you do decide that you want to see some, some interesting uh, chase scenes and action scenes in 3D, I would absolutely say go see this now in the theater because this is not going to play nearly as well uh, on TV. I saw it in 3D in a, in a huge theater, and there was one chase scene in particular that hands down is the most amazing thing I've seen all year. Wow, really? Yes, it is incredible. Was it when he's on his motorcycle? Uh, well, he's all over the place. Okay. They, they start – it's basically they're on a hill, and they're at the top of a hill – and as they go left and right and left and right down the hill on rooftops and on roads and over bridges and uh, all this, I mean, and, and yeah. everything, the way that Spielberg has the scene orchestrated. So did he actually direct it? Did mm-hmm. Spielberg direct Okay. Yeah. The way he has the scene orchestrated, all this stuff is happening. There's multiple things happening. And because the frame is so wide and so big, yeah. you can see all the details. It's almost like... Uh, a video game, yeah, like a really involved video game where all this stuff is happening, but it's so perfectly choreographed and, and it's ridiculous and unbelievable. But man, when you just see how the pieces come together yeah. uh, and, and break apart again, uh, a completely seemingly completely random, but absolutely, you know, just at the right time and the right moment, it's almost like uh, Spielberg finally got to make the action scene that he's been wanting to make his entire career with Indiana Jones movies, you oh, know, cool. Uh, um, because it's just too intricate and over the top. Um, there's not enough scenes like that in the movie to keep uh, to keep it going. Uh, it's a very slight film for sure, but it is really harmless. And, yeah. and honestly, it's it's. Uh, I, I saw a lot of uh, animated movies this year that were just plain average, mm-hmm. and I think Puss in Boots was just kind of average, yeah. right? And and uh, uh, you know this movie's a little bit better just because the craftsmanship involved in the action and the chase scenes. Uh, are are really something to watch, but um, it is it is kind of hollow. And then I'll tell you this: when it ends, mm-hmm. it's like okay, I get that this is a serial 
you know, like the old dastardly villain who ties the girl to the tracks and mm-hmm. there's going to be a cliffhanger. But this movie just kind of ends and they're like, it's like, okay, we're ready for another adventure. And then it ends and you're really not. You're really kind of like, I think I've seen enough. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's, I'm, I'm recommending it. I'm going to give it a minor rock fist up. Um, but uh, again, if you want to see amazing, uh, at least one amazing chase sequence, it's, it's worth checking out in the theater uh, in 3D. Cool. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to get down that. I have not. I'm trying to think about it. And I haven't really seen a CG animated film that I've enjoyed this year. I can't Rango really. was good. I finally yeah. saw Rango the other okay. night. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. Fun. I know it's it's kind of got a western sort of theme it's to it. Right? Spaghetti western. Spaghetti yeah. western. Yeah, right, and, the, and the animation is really different. That's yeah. that's probably the number one thing about it. Besides it being really clever and uh, Johnny Depp putting a, a weird spin on this character, um, the animation is is markedly different from what you usually see. And CG uh, kids movies. Cool. Yeah, it's it's weird to have a year where we don't laud Pixar for something. Yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah, isn't it? All right. <laughs> well, let's move on now to uh, We Bought a Zoo. We Bought a Zoo is Cameron Crowe's first movie since um, um, Elizabeth Town. Yeah. yeah, the disaster that was Elizabeth Town. I liked it. Yeah, I. It's a messy yeah. film, and I I enjoy it for all its uh, messiness. Couldn't be. More it's contrived, charm. Or couldn't be more <laughs> contrived or ridiculous. Especially that last bit where he drives across the country with that mixed little tape. manic pixie dream girl yeah. uh, mixtape thing. Yeah, hey, Orlando Bloom was not the right choice, but I'm glad it wasn't an Ashton Kutcher. I guess so. Yeah, I don't know who would have been. Maybe Matt Damon could have done something with it. Which incidentally, he's in this movie. So yes. this movie is about um, Matt Damon uh, is a widower. Yes. And he's got a family. Yes. And uh, he moves. Does he move or does he? Yes. Yeah. So he moves. And then eventually, like, he discovers there's a zoo that's going to close or it's already been closed. And he buys it and reopens it. And there's a staff of people on hand, including one Scarlett Johansson, who maybe, just maybe, might teach him how to love again. (laughs) Yes. So Uh, tell me about it. Because, you know, I know know that... um, Crow did not take. I mean, Elizabeth Town was what he followed almost famous with. Correct. And well, no. I mean, the Vanilla Sky was in between. Vanilla, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky got some nominations, got some recognition, even though it was based on Abre Los Ojos. Um, and he was riding pretty high. Then Elizabethtown comes out, and he fell hard. You know, he has not made a movie in a long time since then. He has I, not made a movie that cr- critically reviled. Right, and yes. I, and and it was his first sort of, I guess, failure. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, it's taken him a little while to get back on the horse. Well, so, he did go through a divorce. He did. So. Yeah, he was married to Nancy or Ann. Nancy. Nancy Wilson from yeah. Heart. And uh, which sucks because that was kind of a cool marriage. I hate it when cool marriages break apart. You're like, like Kim Gordon and yeah, you're yeah. like, hey, damn it, this yeah. isn't going to work for anybody. Like, um, anyway, here's the deal. Uh, Cameron Crowe he picked a really smart movie to to come back with because the the setup of this movie is such a uh um, a <laughs> it seems really contrived i gotta be honest it's totally contrived but it's based on a true story which okay. is so funny because it's like you know you can totally pull that move if you want um yeah. it actually happened in england um so um everything's pretty much changed but but basically you know it's it's a smart move on his part because it's going to be a big commercial success you've got matt damon in this film yeah, who matt right now damon. There's nobody else in Hollywood that can uh, portray this um, this likable uh, everyman like Matt Damon can right now. And Contagion, he was so good. I was about to say, I watched yeah. that over the weekend. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was so, so great like, as a as If you a didn't see it in, in theaters, 
the minute it comes out, Rent or Buy or Netflix, Contagion. Contagion was awesome. I actually put it on my list of 10 favorite movies nice. of the year. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, definitely. Anyway, side note. But yeah. da- Damon elevates that. That could have been a one-note crap character that, that didn't ring true at all. And yep. Matt Damon makes that guy totally believable and likable. And the way that movie ends, yeah. that last scene when he's in his room with the yep. camera. Oh, my God. So he does it again in this movie. Now, he has, he has uh, um, more to work with because he's the main character. Um, but what, what Cameron Crowe really does uh, is he keeps this movie focused on one thing that makes it rise above. Mm-hmm. The normal kind of cheesy uh, family comedy, and that is his grief, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that he's just lost his wife and he's trying to learn uh, how to put his family, his, his two kids, back together, and himself, for that matter. Uh, his brother, played by Thomas Hayden Church, yeah. is, is constantly giving him bad advice and trying to <laughs> uh, you know, cheer him up and everything. But ultimately... He always returns to her, and and there's a really great scene at the end of the film when it hasn't really gone as cheesy as it as it could have, mm-hmm. where he brings that back again. And I think it's Cameron Crowe's unique skill uh, that, with, that he can take these these things that we would normally see in another movie and call bullshit on and be like, man, this is just too sentimental and too cheesy. And he manages to rein it in, and then he also makes it work. Now, that said, there are several scenes in this movie mm-hmm. where. It just goes too far. Like the the chips are down too far, and then all of a sudden something great happens, yeah. and, and, and the music swells. And, and the music, oh, dude, the more. music cues in this movie. There are some really offensive ones that are just over the top manipulative. <laughs> Seriously, and and uh, the soundtrack is uh, this guy from Sugar Rose, Jonesy. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, his name? Yeah, yeah Jonesy. Yeah. yeah, and and uh, I enjoyed the music, but I did not like the way it was used. It was really really manipulative. Is it weird, Sugar Rose gibberish? Music, uh, there's no. It's instrumental, right? So, right. But yeah. is, does he just sing that made-up language that they? No, there's no singing. Yeah. No, Honestly, like, it sounds like Coldplay. Yeah. It just sounds like really uh, watered down Coldplay. But anyway, how do you water down water Coldplay? Down, Aren't yeah. they watered down Stone Roses? How do you? Sense. <laughs> but so. Uh, okay, Go now now let's have the quick the, the quick uh, uh, two things: Scarlett Johansson mm-hmm. and uh, cute animal jokes. Okay, I thought there was going to be a lot more cute animal jokes. I thought there was <laughs> going to be you know a scene with poop and things like that, and and there's not. And again, credit I to Cameron Crowe. Way more cute animal jokes. Yeah, I thought there was going to be like Doctor Doolittle or some crap like that, and and he doesn't go there. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, you said before she's too beautiful to be uh, uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo. She's yeah. certainly too voluptuous, right? She has curves, yeah. And uh, that that girl is like a skinny, you know, toothpick. But um, the thing is, in this movie, she's also too beautiful mm-hmm. to be the a, girl a zoo at the who runs the zoo. Zoologist, yeah. And 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 she's got those lips, and every time she <laughs> smiles, I'm sorry, but she just even when she's you know mm-hmm. uh, trying to dress down. Um, but man, she's very effective in this movie, and and yeah. they're uh, very subtle back and forth that doesn't really go anywhere, uh, um, you know, too obvious until the end uh, uh, is 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 nice, and and it really sells the entire film, you know. Um, everything in this movie follows a very predictable formula. Yeah. Uh, Cameron Crowe makes it work. I'm giving this one a minor rock fist up. I think it's going to be a huge commercial success. Uh, I'm excited that it will prove to people that he can make uh, a, a good movie again so that I hope that he can follow something that is his passion right. because this is an adaptation. Yeah. He only co-wrote it, uh, and I would, I would rather uh, you know, him do, do something more interesting. 
Um, but it's a it's a very mainstream, very well done mainstream movie with uh, a couple over the top sentimentality uh, bullshit moments that that irked me. But yeah. other than that, I, I came out feeling pretty good. Good. So yeah, I think that all of his movies that have they're, 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 one of the neat things about all of his movies to me is just how rewatchable they are, and they work so well on on TV. You know, oh yeah, like they work great. With, yeah. They work great with a commercial break. Well, he's you know good I mean? at moments, man. Cameron Crowe can make a moment out of almost anything. Yeah, for sure. You know. Well, anyway, so now we we moved on to there. We can talk about the last two things that are at Liberty Hall real fast. We've already talked about Melancholia, but again, can't stress it enough. Like, go see it. If you saw Antichrist and are really confused or afraid of Lars von Trier, this is a great movie to sort of reaffirm your faith. And if you've never seen a Lars von Trier movie before, this is a good one to start with. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, yeah. I think it's his most effective. You said it too. I think it's his most affecting movie since Breaking the Waves. For um, me, since Dancer in the Dark. Dancer that's my favorite Dark. movie by him. So yeah. in the last 10 years, 11 years. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's great. Um, you got to be in the right mood. You got to know what you're getting into. But if you've seen the ad campaign, if you've seen anything about it, I think it would be impossible to not know by now what this, what kind of movie this if is. If you love cinema, go see this film and just do yourself a favor and let Von Trier take take you over for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely see Melancholia in whatever capacity you can. And definitely. Uh, oh, and you know, I watched it on a TV because I had a screener, but you owe it to yourself seeing it in theater while you can. Absolutely. Um, the, just this, the the opening alone will play so much better on a big big movie theater screen in the dark when everyone's job is to look at the screen and not, you know, mess with their phone. And now that you've seen it, Trevin, can you tell me yeah. why nobody's talking about Kirsten Dunst anymore for Best Actress? The only thing I can come up with <laughs> is because Lars von Trier said those, those Nazi <sighs> sympathizer comments during Cannes. That's so the childish. only thing I can think of. Yeah. That's all I can think of because she... It has to suck to be her right now because she turned in the performance of her life. She yes. might not ever do anything as good <laughs> as this again. That's I mean, that's very nice. It's not. I'm not. I mean, I'm just saying she turns in something so well. It's the perfect role for her. Um, the camera loves her. And didn't she, know she had it in her. I didn't know yeah. she had it in her either. And she she turns in this incredible incredible performance. And she's fearless. You know, she'd said before like she'd never do nude unless she really respected the director and respected the project. She. You know, she does that here, and it does fit, and it's and not... it's a memorable scene, it's like not, a, this great you know, painting. Yeah, it's yeah. not sexualized or, or, well, you know, it's not like a sex scene or anything yeah. just kind of smutty and over with. Like, there is some artistic merit to it beyond just, oh, she's naked, you know. Um, and no one is talking about her at all. You know, and, they were, and, and now that things have gone from Critics Awards to, uh, you know, award shows... Yeah. She hasn't made the transition. She didn't get a SAG nomination or a Golden Globe. Which is ridiculous. And, you know, Charlotte Gainsbourg is great in it, too. And, honestly, Keith or Sutherland's great. So is, um, 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 God, is it John? Alexander and Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, yeah, the Skarsgård, the Skarsgårds are good. John Hurt. And the, I was about to Charlotte say, John Rampling. Hurt is, John Hurt's great. Even yeah. Udo Kier is funny <laughs> yeah. in his little, in his little bit role. The, it's broken into two parts. Um, I was telling Eric earlier, the first part is is great. I could honestly just watch two hours of the first part, the way that it handles the wedding and the, the camera. And I'd heard reports, uh, I think it was maybe the Alamo Drafthouse, some people wanted their money back because they got kind of car sick with his handheld camera style. I don't know. I mean... I didn't have. They a problem said that with about it. breaking the waves too. Yeah, I mean, whatever. You know. I don't know. I think that I think that's kind of a lame excuse. But um, <laughs> I anyway, we'll we'll move on to Maryland. But melancholia, it's too, it. it's too bad that Take Shelter's got to leave. But if it 
if it had to leave for melancholia, that's all right. If it had to leave for Maryland, that kind of sucks because Maryland is not. Right. So my week with Maryland trouble. is the other movie that's opening this weekend at Liberty Hall. Michelle Williams does a really uh, great job bringing that's to such life. A hard role to fill. Yeah. Marilyn Monroe. Know? She she does a really great job, but the the story's just not up to it. It's 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 two stories in one. One is uh, the conflict between her and Laurence Olivier on the set. Completely forgettable movie. Yeah. Uh, and and their acting styles and his ego and uh, and her ability to uh, bring people in to suck her into her drama and manipulate people. And that's really interesting. And then there's this other half, which is this. Um, puppy dog love story between this stupid English kid who's so goddamn annoying <laughs> in this movie yeah. and, and, and what may or may not have happened uh, in terms of behind the scenes with him and Marilyn, he and Marilyn for a week. And, and honestly, uh, that part of the movie just doesn't work at all, except for there's one great scene where she uh, parades him around and, and he gets to see what it's like to be Marilyn Monroe in public. So there yeah. are some bright spots in this movie. I gave it a minor rock fist up because I really liked the performance in about half the film. But yeah. I, I wouldn't really recommend it beyond that. I think I'm a little bitter just because it's it's replacing Take Shelter. But... I didn't dislike it, and, and and it's worth also it's worth noting that Kenneth Branagh's performance as Lawrence Olivier is pretty great. Um, it's hammy for sure. He's having fun. It's with It's totally it. hammy. He's having fun with it. And but he will get an Oscar nomination, which oh, totally. is really weird. That's that's like there it is. That's that. Yeah, that's just that's a home run for the yeah. Academy. Yep. You know, known actor playing a known deceased actor. known actor, yeah. and then putting a crazy historical spin on it. Yeah, yeah. home run. Anyway, go. well, we're going to go. Everyone have a, a safe and happy holiday weekend. We'll be back next week. Uh, we'll talk about, uh, let's see, what are we, War Horse, the film about a Christ-like sentient horse directed <laughs> by Steven Spielberg. Yep. And then we'll also be talking about uh, what's the artist. The artist, probably. The, the silent film uh, that's probably going to lead the Oscars in uh, nominations if the Golden Globes are any indicator. Yeah, it's still still hot. Still hot, unfortunately. Are we going to do our top ten lists at all? I think we are. I think we're going to hit our top tens of the year. I've got to kill. I've got to watch a few more so that I can make a completely informed list. But mine's about halfway there. I know yours is all the way done. And some awards predictions too. And a lot of awards predictions are going to happen. So we'll be back next week. Until then, take it easy. Ciao.